Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. As we continue the series, The Bible Made Ridiculously Simple, today's episode will focus on the Book of Acts. The Book of Acts is commonly referred to by many different names and labels. Some call it the Fifth Gospel. Some call it the sequel to the Book of Luke. Some say it is a bridge in between the Gospels and the letters to the New Testament churches that follows the book and the Bible. So that's what people say about Acts, but what does the book itself tell us? Acts tells us about Acts. It tells us about what God did 2,000 years ago to build the foundation of his earthly church. This is why I always adored the book of Acts, because no matter where you read, someone is always doing something. The book of Acts tells the creation story of the church. In the Old Testament, the book of Genesis tells us the creation story of the physical world. In the book of Acts, we have the creation story of the spiritual church. So is the big idea of the book of Acts the church? Well, not necessarily. The reason why the church was created and empowered was because of the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. He is the person who played a starring role in the birth of the church and thus made all of the acts in the book of Acts possible. Hence, the big idea of the book of Acts is a person, and that person is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent who has the most intimate connection to the everyday lives of believers in that he is the one who guides us, teaches us his word, and animates our prayers. When believers come together, that borderless tribe from all four corners of the earth is what constitutes the church today. One spirit draws us toward our one Lord, Jesus Christ, who is the head of his one spiritual church. During his time on earth, Jesus was the star of God's earthly ministry. When Jesus' work was complete and he ascended to heaven, one star leaves the scene, but God did not abandon us. He sends the Holy Spirit. So on the one hand, when the book of Acts begins, Jesus leaves his disciples and ascends to heaven. This was a moment of sorrow, but when the Holy Spirit subsequently arrives, this was a fulfillment of Christ's promise that he would not leave his disciples alone. For scripture references, see Matthew 28, 18-20, John 1, 7, 37-39, 14, 16-17, and 20, 22. Acts tells us that the means by which God spread the good news about his son was through the church. Back then, this included the apostles and regular Christians. It was through this community of people that God sent people out to tell others about Christ. New converts then joined the church, and the community then repeated the process and sent more people out. In this spiritual community, there was sound teaching, fellowship, baptism, communion, and prayer. This pattern fits into the biblical paradigm that God always works through his church, never through isolated individuals or sole agents. This speaks to the modern believer who may say things like, I'm spiritual, but I don't do church. God does church because he is the one who created the church. Thus, for someone who says, I don't do church, what they're really saying is, I don't like God's plan. Jesus has already promised to meet us in public worship when he said, where two or three are gathered together, that is where I am. 
A person may wickedly stay away from the appointed place of meeting, but the consequence of that is not just that they are missing church. It's that they're missing Jesus. In his final address to his disciples in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. This verse actually helps us to divide up the entire book of Acts into three. Think about Acts as three circles. Each circle is centered on Jerusalem, and as we move along, the next circle gets bigger and spreads farther and farther away. Additionally, as we move out in the circles, we also see different groups of people being saved. We see people that generally were considered second-class or unsavable being saved. People like the Samaritans, Greeks, and Gentiles. So, 2,000 years ago, when the gospel first began to spread, a big question in the first century world was, who can be saved? If the gospel is good news, who is the good news for? The answer is all people. That anyone who believes in Jesus will be saved, and the only criteria for receiving the gospel is to be a human being. So if we think of Acts as three circles, the smallest one is represented by Acts chapters 1 to 7. Those chapters talk about the activity of the Holy Spirit in the city of Jerusalem. At the end of Acts 7, the first Christian martyr dies. His name was Stephen. This causes Christians to flee Jerusalem and spread out. So in Acts chapters 8 to 12, we see the Holy Spirit at work in Judea and Samaria, which roughly speaking are the territories south and north of Jerusalem. Then, in the biggest circle, in the final 15 chapters of the book of Acts, we read about the Holy Spirit predominantly using the Apostle Paul to spread the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth, including areas in modern-day Italy, Greece, Turkey, and Syria. In fact, in the last verse of Acts, Acts 28.31, the text says the following about Paul in Rome. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. The book of Acts notoriously ends abruptly, and that's kind of the point, because the drama of the book of Acts is not over. We, as believers, are members of the church now, and it is our calling to preach the kingdom of God to the remotest parts of the earth. The story continues right now as laborers preach Christ and the kingdom of God. There are two events that I will zoom in on in the book of Acts. The first is Pentecost, and the second is the conversion of Paul. So first, Pentecost. Christmas Day is the day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. There is no modern holiday that celebrates Pentecost on the Christian calendar, but Pentecost was the birthday of the church in Jerusalem. In the conception of Christ, God incarnated, meaning God became a palpable presence in our reality. With the birth of the church, the Holy Spirit incarnated. This means the Holy Spirit became a palpable presence in believers and equipped them for service. For scripture reference, see 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The day of Pentecost is ascribed in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13 say, When the day of Pentecost came, they, and they refers to all the disciples, they were all together in one place. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. So in simple terms, what happened on the day of Pentecost? There was a miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit on those who believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. This outpouring birthed the church, so Pentecost was a one-time miraculous event. People are not rebirthed over and over again, and even baby Jesus was born only once. So Christ's church only needed to be born once. So what was the outpouring of Pentecost for? That's very simple. It was to equip people to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the very next thing that happens after Pentecost? The Apostle Peter preaches a sermon about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That text can be found in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 36. The result of Peter's sermon as a result of the outpouring of the Spirit was that 3,000 people were saved that very day and the church began to grow immediately. As with anything else in the Bible, Pentecost was designed to have effects that drew people to the Messiah. Acts 2, 1-13 tells us that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was experienced as a noise like a violent rushing wind and the appearance of tongues of fire. So, Pentecost appealed both to the ears and to the eyes. The believers present were gifted with tongues, or as it is commonly said, they were speaking in tongues. If we stick to the text, we know that the people who were speaking were Galileans, meaning they were Jews who spoke a local tongue or a local language. Present all around the Galileans were many people from nations all over the known world. These foreigners were amazed because they heard these Holy Spirit gifted men speaking in their own language. This tells us three things. First, that speaking in tongues is a gift granted by the Holy Spirit. Tongues resulted from the outpouring, not from anything else. Therefore, tongues cannot be taught or learned. Second, the gift was laid on a person, and the gift was to speak or to utter a tongue. The gift was not in hearing. Finally, the Galileans made utterances that were understood by foreigners. This means the tongues were not an unknown language, but a known language that could be understood by someone else. The miraculous part of speaking is not that a person utters a known language. The miraculous part is that a person utters a known language that they themselves have never learned before. 
Back then, no one would have expected poor, uneducated Jews to speak to a united nations of people clearly and fluently. Because tongues enable a person to miraculously communicate with someone else in their native tongue, it is assigned to an unbeliever, not to a believer. So even as the people themselves asked in Acts 2.12, what does this mean? Very simply, what Pentecost signaled was the distribution of spiritual gifts to expand and empower the community of believers. As I've mentioned, these gifts and empowerment were not self-serving, but Christ-serving. This empowerment highlights a crucial difference between the Old Testament church and the New Testament church. In the Old Testament, only a select few people had a Holy Spirit gifting to fulfill their calling. Examples include Moses, Elijah, David, Gideon, and Aaron. In the New Testament, every believer has the gift, although they are gifted to do different things in different degrees. For scripture reference, see 1 Corinthians 12, 8-10. Why this difference exists between the Old Testament and the New Testament church is quite clear. Because of Jesus. Christ shattered the wall of separation between us and God. Therefore, at Pentecost, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the whole church, not a very select dripping of drops on a few people. So immediately after Pentecost, Peter preaches. He ends by telling the crowd in Acts 2.38, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what did the church then do? Acts 2.42 then says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And this is what the church still does teach sound Bible doctrine, fellowship with one another, administer the sacraments, and engage in corporate prayer. So all of that was a brief overview of the day of Pentecost. The last thing I will talk about in Acts is the conversion of Saul to Paul. Stephen was the first martyr, and he was killed in Acts 7. Stephen was killed by religious folks who rejected Jesus. These same folks thought Stephen was a blasphemer because he worshipped our Lord Jesus Christ. After Stephen's death, the religious leaders in Jerusalem would have now been content to leave the rest of the Christians alone since the death of Stephen would take the wind out of their sails. But one man was determined not to stop hunting the Christians down. His name was Saul, an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin, who was not only very intelligent, but also highly educated and an established scholar of the scriptures. What Saul subsequently did was that he actually asked the high priest at the time for permission to hunt down and seek out Christians in Damascus. Saul was the man who was the mastermind behind the plan to exterminate Christians and rid the world of all the devout followers of Jesus. If Saul were alive today, he would be labeled a fanatic, a religious extremist, and a terrorist. Acts 9, 1-9 says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
but get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. When Jesus addresses Saul, he says, Saul, Saul. In the Bible, when a name repetition is used, it denotes a sense of intimacy, like Moses, Moses, or Lord, Lord. So Jesus looks down at Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting my disciples, not why you're persecuting my church, but why are you persecuting me? Because when you hurt my flock, you are in fact hurting me. Saul was likely the most educated person for hundreds of miles, but even that guy did not know who Jesus was. Saul asked Christ, who are you? But the complete phrase that Saul uttered was, who are you, Lord? Descriptions of instant conversions are very rare in the Bible, but it seems as if Saul's conversion was rapid in that he immediately called God by his deserving title. Saul would go on to regain his sight and be renamed Paul. Paul is radically important because he would pen a bulk of the New Testament. God would later relay why he chose Paul. In Acts 9, 15-16, he tells Ananias, He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. So God chose Paul because he would be the apostle to the Gentile world and he would lead by example. He would also suffer for the sake of Christ. Paul was an apostle, meaning someone personally sent by Jesus. As a side note, the biblical requirements for being an apostle can be found in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. Unlike other apostles like Peter, Paul was not a disciple of Jesus during his earthly ministry, but Paul did have the best Jewish education of the day. In fact, he knew far more than most at the time because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. So in a sense, Paul was a disciple based on his superior knowledge of the word. In contrast to other apostles, Paul was not an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, but Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Paul was not an eyewitness of Christ before the ascension, but he was an eyewitness after. Christ also gave Paul specific instructions and labeled him a chosen instrument that would be sent to bear the name of Christ to the world. In fact, what Paul ended up doing was that he went to Jerusalem and met with all of the original apostles who confirmed his apostolic authority. I say all of this simply to point out that although Paul may have not taken the same road to becoming an apostle as others, God still chose him and used him as such. Truly, without Paul's letters in the New Testament, most of the New Testament would not exist. The epistle that the Apostle Paul is known for the most and what many would regard as his magnum opus is the book of Romans. That is the book we will address next time. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.